This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am, of course, Doug Scott, and I'm joined by QB11, Mr. Andrew. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Doug. How are we doing today? I think I know the answer. It's not, you've been owning the trolls for the last 48 hours consecutively. but uh, Yeah, I thought about, do we want to add a segment about Pac-12 legal battles? And no, no, we don't. I may, maybe I'll just do a separate episode by myself on that at some point later in the week or or maybe not but i'm not going to take up your time maybe with you that can have your friend uh, immaculate on as a guest star for that episode um maybe maybe i don't know if he'll accept that appearance however but uh, mm. you know good luck to him unlikely. anyway uh unlikely yes very unlikely so oregon ducks are back in action this weekend in utah rice Eccles stadium utah has i think the second longest home winning streak in the country right now. They haven't lost a game since uh, losing there in the COVID year of 2020. They haven't lost a game there with fans in the stands since 2018. Um, so that's a pretty tough place to play. However, they also have not been an underdog in any of those games. The last time they were a home underdog was the last time they lost at home when they were back in 2018, when they were a home underdog to Washington. So, um, it is a little bit different dynamic in this game. Obviously, we know Cam Rising's not playing. Brent Keithy's not playing. Utah's missing a couple players on defense. We'll get into all that as well. But, um, you know, we'll get into this game. Oregon is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road here at Utah. And what amounts to an elimination game for both any hopes to for either team to make the college football playoff, for sure. The loser of this game has two losses and, therefore, will not make the college football playoff. And quite frankly, the loser of this game has a very, very tough road to even make it to the Pac-12 title game. They would definitely need to win out. They would probably, they would need um, help along the way from other teams. Um, so it's a very, very important game in the Pac-12 and national standings for both schools. So QB, let's start there. Utah, Oregon, what are your initial thoughts on this one? I mean, I think that the stature of the game is a lot larger than it would have been, obviously, had had USC pulled off the comeback last week. Um, but ultimately, I think these are two good teams. I think Utah is – I'm just going to be honest from the forefront. I'm not going to try to hype this game up. I think Utah is running out of ammunition. They've just experienced so many injuries this year. They're missing so many key players. If you would have told me that they had 
a full arsenal of tight ends with with Thomas Yasmin and Brent Keithy uh, and Cam Rising was playing in this game. And like we knew that all the offensive line that's going to get a little bit banged up was going to be healthy and 100% go. And Michael Bernard was going to be able, available in this game. I have a very different outlook on this game than I do now, knowing that all those players are unavailable. They're rolling with the pig farmer at quarterback. Um, and I mean that as a term of endearment. I'm not saying that disparagingly. Um, yeah, they've been they've been using that as a term of endearment, too. So I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and, and, and they're using, like, converted safeties at running back. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from the, from the plays that Sione Vaki, Vaki has been making. He's been spectacular. Um, but I, I think that this is going to be a very competitive game on one side of the ball um, and lesser so on the other. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, Utah's ranked as its defense. They're, uh, I think, by most people's, uh, whether you look at advanced analytics or just, you know, the eye test or regular old watching film, I think Utah has what so far this season has been the best defense in the conference, uh, certainly up there, maybe along with UCLA. Um, statistically, they are, are pretty strong against both the run and the pass on defense. They um, their effect their uh, success rates are very strong. Their their EPAs are very strong. Defensively, they're just a solid football team. However, they have had some injuries uh, there of late, and and as we know, these these analytics models look at the the full totality of this season, and 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 many of the models are still using some of last season's data as well. And if you have recent injuries. Um, to guys like Lander Barton, for example, you know, we, the, the, the statistics don't take into account the impact that that may or may not have on them going forward. However, I mean, it's Utah. They're going to have somebody ready to go. They're going to be in the right place. They're going to play disciplined football. Now, they may be less talented, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see because they've really only played three linebackers in meaningful time this year. And now that rotation goes down to two um, with, with the loss of Lander Barton. So now it's going to be uh, Reed and Mooney, the Stanford transfer, as the primary two guys playing snaps. Against USC, those were the only three linebackers that played at all. Um, ben Fillinger also got hurt last week. Doesn't sound like he's going to play. Um, and so, again, they're oh, just... I missed that one. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain on that one. Like I, I, I saw the report that he got nicked up, but is he playing or not is the part I don't know the answer to this week. The other player that's very impactful for them on the other side of the ball that got nicked up last week and was limping around, and I don't know if he's what his availability is, um, is Laumea, the right tackle, who's certainly their best offensive lineman. Um, so it's again, they're 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 a banged up team. They've overcome a lot of adversity and they've pulled a lot of games out of their hat this year. I think back to the Baylor game in Waco, think to the USC game last week. Um, so it's. Uh, They've been they've been getting by, but like just barely. And I think that they finally play a team this week that's complete enough on both sides of the ball to really take advantage of that. I mean, we saw how poorly their offense played against UCLA and Oregon State. Um, I know that they've quote unquote got right in the last two games against Cal and USC, but how much of that is them <laughs> being good, and how much of that is those two teams being just genuinely horrible? Yeah, I mean, I do think there is there's something there. I don't think it's it's probably being being overstated by the change in quality, right? You went from playing, uh, you know, two very good defenses to playing two two of the best defenses in the conference to two of the worst defenses in the conference. So that obviously that's going to inflate your numbers, what regardless of any other internal changes. I mean, you know, like you said, 
Utah's offense has struggled all year, and we can get into that a little bit. I mean, defense, we'll go back to the defensive side of the ball. They're particularly good against the run. I mean, Florida only got 13 yards rushing. Uh, Baylor got 121, but a low average. Um, obviously nothing for Weber State. UCLA didn't run the ball at all, nine yards. Oregon State got 130, but on 3.6 yards per carry. And then Cal and Cal didn't rush for anything. Interestingly enough, USC actually ran for over six yards of carry last week. Both Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones had a, a pretty high average, but they just got no carries. <laughs> I mean, USC was having success in the running game, but typical of USC all year long, they have they have they just don't they just don't go to it at all. Uh, in my opinion, nearly as much as they should be, considering you know that they are fairly successful when they do. Um, so that is definitely the strength of U- Utah's defense. Um, Against the pass, they've been not nearly as good, in my opinion. Um, you know, going back through through the the whole season, they've they've certainly given up plenty of yards to the air against teams that have competent quarterbacks, and and Oregon certainly has a more than competent quarterback. Yeah, I think uh, like if we're going over their defensive personnel, you start with um, you start with uh, Zamaya Vaughn, who's one of their corners. Extremely fast in a straight line. Um, like one of the top GPS guys in the country, 21.7 mile per hour max on the season in game, which is really insane. Uh, but he's also really rigid, so he doesn't change directions very well. He's not someone like if you put him in zone, he's basically useless. He, what, where he's really good is carrying receivers deep downfield, right? And so, and, and that shows up in what you watch of Utah. They don't give up a lot of big explosive plays, they make teams kind of dink and dunk and drive on him. And, like talk about styles make fights. What does Oregon do really, really well? It's stay ahead of the chains, be efficient on offense, be completely content, just taking a profit every play, driving up and down the field um, in longer drives if necessary. Obviously, Oregon would love to be explosive, and Oregon's been explosive this year. But um, I think this is the first team, the first offense that Utah's played that is like completely content just playing in that mode, right? Just being in second gear, driving uphill. And, and just getting there. And it doesn't really matter how long it takes, just staying staying in second gear, not trying to get ahead of themselves. Um, and, and that's, I think, the, the matchup that's most interesting in this game because Utah has done a really good job limiting explosive plays. They've done a very good job keeping a lid on the passing game um, against, uh, against the teams they've played, although I think that the quality of quarterback outside of Caleb Williams has been pretty poor. Um, and then against the run, they they do a good job of creating havoc plays, but they haven't been great at stopping efficiency runs either. So like if they aren't creating the havoc play, they give up explosives on the ground. Um, and so that'll be an interesting matchup because you have an Oregon offensive line that's been fantastic at both preventing havoc plays and preventing sacks going up against a Utah defensive line that has been really, really good at creating both of those things. Yeah, and obviously when you go... You know, you, you, when you talk about Utah's defense, you got to talk about uh, Jonah Ellis or Ellis, uh, you know, the defensive end, 10 sacks on the year, which I think is top five in the country. And that is a big part of their their ability to limit, limit those those big play passing games. But I'm wondering, though, you know, how big of an impact can he have in this game? Not because, or you know, Oregon doesn't typically have those long drawn out dropbacks, right? Like you said, they're, they're, they, they do a lot of quick passes. Um, you know, whether those be short, quick passes or even longer timing passes. Right. But they don't, you know, certainly they'll drop back and survey the field from time to time, but it's not a, it's not a big part of Oregon's offense. And so will there be enough time, even if Ellis is winning his matchups against either Connerly or, 
or uh, Cornelius, is there going to be enough time for him to get home or affect the play uh, on a regular basis? And I think that Oregon, like Coach Stein, has done a really good job this year of using control plays to slow down the rush. So whether it's screens, draws, some of the wrong way stuff and misdirection plays we run, um, that's stuff that's all designed to keep edges having to play their run assignment longer um, and not allowing to get straight into their rush. And so Jonah Ellis is, is a tremendous pass rusher. Um, and I, but I, I think that really what makes him special is his motor. I, I don't see him having a lot of success against Cornelius. Um, Connerly's more susceptible just because Connerly is young and he, he still needs to get stronger. He uh, doesn't have tremendous anchor at this stage in his development. Uh, but athletically, he can mirror with Ellis no problem. So um, I'll be interested to see how that matchup goes. I think that I think that Oregon is talented enough at tackle to to limit him. Um, and I think that the play calling will be complementary to that to that motive. Yeah, I mean, sticking on this side of the ball, it, it this is the interesting side of the ball to me. I think you touched on this earlier, right? Like, I think I think when we talk about you know the other side of the ball, I think we'll have we'll have more to say here. But it, it feels like if or I mean, if you look at what the the you know the teams that Utah has played this year, right? Like, they have not played. Outside of USC, they haven't really played any good offenses. I mean, UCLA's offense is is good, you know, above average. Oregon State's offense ish. is above average-ish, right? But neither of these offenses are, like, great. And certainly Florida, Baylor, Cal are, are bad offensively. USC is one-dimensional offensively. Um, well, they, and, they aren't like so. In my opinion, all the, the structure, right? all the offenses that they've played this year are one-dimensional, right? With the exception of USC, but USC, there I don't know. USC's got some weird. USC stuff chooses going on. to be one-dimensional, even yeah, though they don't need to be. They choose to be one-dimensional, even though they don't need to be. And I, I don't think that Caleb Williams is playing well within the structure of the offense in the passing game. Like all of his big plays are off off schedule stuff, um, and it's not like USC didn't move the ball up and down the field on Utah. So, again, I think this is a very good defense, but I think that they really haven't been in a position where they haven't been able to just choose one thing to stop and sit on it, right? Um, and and even against Oregon State, they really didn't stop the run that effectively. Like, like they, they limited it. They kept a lid on it. There wasn't a lot of big explosive plays, but I felt that or watching that film, Oregon State was able to stay ahead of the chains pretty effectively. So, um, and, and there's no question that Oregon's passing game is significantly better than Oregon State's. Yeah, it, that that feels like, I mean, Oregon State has a balanced offense, you know, which is probably, you know, the only the only analog to Oregon that that's that Utah has played so far from that standpoint is is Oregon State because their offense is reasonably balanced. However, it's not it's not as good as Oregon's obviously on either running or passing from an efficiency standpoint or an explosive standpoint either. But but it's a good like measuring stick to a degree. Right. Um, if you will. Yeah, and, and Oregon State was able to sustain drives, right? Like, Oregon State was able to move the ball up and down the field. Um, again, Utah is really good, and as the field compresses, they get harder and harder to, to play against. But um, it, it's not as if teams with good good talent and competent offensive staffs haven't had the ability to move the ball. So, I don't know. The, this game to me, and we, like, what, I guess we can get to this after we talk about the about – the, um, the defense, Oregon defense against the Utah offense a little bit more, but this game to me comes down to 
can Oregon manufacture four touchdown drives? Because if Oregon scores 28 points, I think that's a win. Yeah, and that's going to be probably – this game, Utah will do everything they can to slow this game down, right? I mean, we saw that last week with, with what they were doing, you know, with their substitutions with USC on defense even. Oregon's not going to play into that um, the way they substitute offensively. But, um, you know, there might be – you know, each team might get nine possessions in this game, maybe ten. So, you know, like you said, if you get touchdowns on four, which is a little less than half probably – Maybe it's eight even. That's half of your half of your possessions. And yeah, I think I think twenty eight points on on Oregon by Oregon's offense will win this game. And I feel like Oregon has enough weapons offensively to to do that. Now it, again, it comes down to the age old things, right? Are you shooting yourself in the foot with on you know untimely penalties? Are you stalling on you know fourth and goal and, and walking away with no points? Are you turning the ball over? I mean, Oregon doesn't turn the ball over, so I'm not really worried about that. But you know those kind of things, right? It, it, those would be the things that would prevent, I think, Oregon from getting to 28 points versus like Utah just shutting Oregon down. Yeah, and and it's not that if Oregon doesn't execute well, Utah can't stop them. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. But I think if both teams are, if let's say both teams play a B plus game, I think Oregon gets to 28. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Uh, you know, this has kind of been Utah's. They've they've kind of messed with their quarterback, right? So they they started the year with Bryson Barnes. Um, they ran with him for essentially two games or three games against uh, Florida. Um, Florida, Baylor, and and no, sorry, two games. Florida and Baylor, right? And they won both of those games, but their offense was was pretty unproductive. Barnes was not not very good, uh, quite frankly. And they ran Nate Johnson in uh, situationally in both those games has been kind of like a wildcat, like running quarterback package. Uh, had a couple throws, but uh, you know, definitely more of a more of a running wildcat package kind of guy. And so after those two games, they they made the switch to Nate Johnson. Um, and they really embraced the we're going to try to just run the ball uh, on everyone and and have a limited passing game with what Johnson could do and and that's where their season kind of went offensively kind of started to go downhill um, obviously they beat Weaver State but then they they scored 14 combined offensive points in their next two games the the win over UCLA at home where their defense really won that game and Dante Moore um, did not play well at all. And of course, then the loss on the road in Corvallis, uh, 21 to seven to Oregon state. So they won, they won, they went one in one of those games, but their offense was anemic. <laughs> I mean, absolutely anemic. And and then that led them to come back to Bryson Barnes the last two weeks. Uh, and their offense has scored, you know, 34 uh, in both of those games. Now this is to what you were saying earlier, the point where, I was like, oh, Utah figured out their offense, and and I and I think the the if you look at what Bryson Barnes' stats are, they aren't necessarily any better than what he was doing when he was starting at the beginning of the year. I mean, he you know he threw for 128 yards against Cal, and he and he threw for you know 250, uh, 230, and three touchdowns against USC, which was by far his best game of the season. Still threw a horrendous pick six that almost gave the game away. Um, so it's more it's more that they played two to me. And I watched both of these games. It, it felt more like they just played two really terrible defenses. And they also found Sione Vaki, right? Uh, the safety that they inserted at, at running back and are giving him the ball in both the running and passing game. And he's had, you know, two tremendous games in a row. So, yes, they've, they've done some things differently um, that have led to more success the last two weeks. 
I don't think that means they're a team that's going to come out and score 35 points a game, especially now they're going to play a significantly better defense this week in Oregon. Yeah, I would say it's probably the best defense they've played. You can make an argument for UCLA. Um, but I think that this matchup also just really plays into Oregon's strengths defensively. Um, like Andy Ludwig, even with, with a full arsenal of players to, to throw at us, it still plays a very straightforward, like traditional set of offense, a lot more static. Um, and, and they like have an identity, right? Like they like to run the ball. They like to play with physicality and to establish that run. Um, and so that to me plays really well into what Oregon wants to do. Like Oregon is not, I can promise you that they aren't sitting in the facility sweating any of the matchups on the outside this week, right? Like Kyrie Jackson will be back. They have Jaleel Florence. Triquiz Bridges has played really well. Dante Manning, like really, I don't, I don't care who's that corner for Oregon, they should be able to to hold up against any of these guys on the outside, of this, especially when you consider who's throwing the ball to them. And so the question becomes is, can Utah run the ball against a stacked box that where Oregon's going to be able to throw the kitchen sink at them, get exotic, bring all kinds of different looks in different packages, play some base defense with Justin Jacobs now back in the, in the mix, um, and, can, and will they be able to sustain drives running the ball and staying ahead of the chains against that? Um, in my opinion, the answer is no. Um, but like when you look at this matchup, I think that Oregon has a much larger advantage on the Utah offense um, than on the when we flip over to the other matchup, right, where Oregon is playing against a very competitive defense. And so if Oregon's defense shows up and plays well, I don't think this is a game where Utah gets past 17 points. Yeah, I mean, it, is – do you, do you feel like Oregon will come out of nickel in this game and play some seven seven personnel in the front? Um, what do you think? I, I don't. It just does depends. Utah run like, a lot of twelve and thirteen? I, I, so, I don't know. I mean, like tra- traditionally they do. Like here, I can actually I can give you their splits from last week if you give me one second here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great, great podcasting by us. I should have had. <laughs> no, this I didn't plot. prepare you for the question. But while you're I looking was, that up, I mean, yeah, my thought was: is this a game where either you you walk the safeties down a little bit more? Uh, to play against a run if or you just substitute and, and you're playing an extra linebacker or something so from a personnel standpoint last week well here, this is on the season um on the season okay. they've played 59 percent 11 34 percent 12 2.9 percent uh 13 against usc they played uh 68 percent 11 and 16 percent 12 and, I, and like that kind of okay. goes in line with what we would think because they're running out of tight ends. They don't have enough tight ends to run a substantial amount of 12 personnel. And so with them playing 11 base, I, I do think Oregon yeah, will you're stay, see nickel then. Yeah. stay in nickel. And yeah. I don't think it helps Utah by trying to go heavy with their tight end shortage. Um, because like at that point, you're bringing on your fourth tight end, and they're probably better off playing their third best receiver than their fourth best tight end. Um, yeah, that, may, that makes sense. So... And it's it's tougher to outgap teams, and like there becomes like it gets a little bit more complicated for them too. But like to me, I'm looking at this in either way. Like I fully expect Oregon to play a crap ton of man, uh, and and like the nice thing about Oregon's defense is they rotate so many guys in the front seven. Um, just looking at like snap percentages from a week ago against Cal, um, Oregon played or sorry, sorry not against Cal, it's Washington State. Um, Defensively, like uh, Popo played forty percent of snaps. Taimani played twenty-seven. Doros played sixty. 
Uh, Rogers yeah. played 32, where Hudson played 25. Like none of these guys, like Birch. But that's what they've been doing all season. Pass. Like that's right. that's all that's what they do all season. Yeah. And so like Oregon's just gonna be able to come in waves. And I, I don't think that the drop off is substantial enough anywhere on the interior of the defensive line against what I think is a much better group of tackles than interior offensive linemen for Utah. Um and so I, I just don't know where Utah finds space. Like it's gonna have to come down to Barnes. Um and how is Barnes gonna operate under pressure against a really athletic defense? I, I guess we'll we'll find out on Saturday. I mean, the one area where I mean, Oregon hasn't played a lot of like run heavy teams, um, particularly of late this season. Obviously, Washington, Washington State, both very pass heavy. Um, you know, and Colorado as well. But you know, earlier in the year they played Texas Tech, and um, I believe they played another team somewhere along the way that that ran more. And and those teams were able to find some success against Oregon in running, particularly on the edges, and particularly with quarterback run. Right. We've talked about that earlier in the year. And I, I, I don't know that, you know, Utah is going to sit here. I, I'm wondering if this is a game where they they bring they bring the other quarterback back to try to exploit what had been earlier in the year, at least uh, uh, an opening against Oregon with getting an extra blocker on the ball and running your quarterback on the edge off tackle, you know, kind of thing. I wonder if that's something Utah might do to try to gain an advantage in this game with that extra blocker. Uh, or even running Barnes, I, you know, I, he's more of a athletic guy versus a, a true runner. Um, or even just trying to run Jaquin and Jackson off tackle, you know, and, and try to exploit the edges where, where some teams have had success. Even Washington in that game had some early success running the ball uh, on the edge against Oregon. So that to me, if I'm Utah, is what I would certainly try to do. Yeah, they're going uh, to have to commit to running to counter the, that. Yeah, yeah, they're going to have to commit to running the quarterback. Like they're going to have to get a number back some way, especially if Oregon's just dedicated to playing a lot of man. They're going to be outnumbered if they don't do that, right? And so, whether it's Nate Johnson or Bryson Barnes, Barnes is a sneaky good athlete. Um, there, there's going to be a necessity for for just that, right? Like they're going to have to find ways to get numbers. Um, and and Ludwig's a good coach. Like I'm sure they'll find some ways. Well, formationally using our rules against us to create leverage early in the game. But like as the game goes on and Oregon's defensive staff makes adjustments, eventually they're just going to have to win. Like they're going to have to win at the point of attack. Um, or Barnes is going to have to make some throws downfield against contested coverage uh, to a receiver room that's really not that good. Um, and so that this is where I think like we run into problems for Utah because even even if Utah gets an explosive play, as long as Oregon doesn't give up a touchdown, like do you see this Utah offense being particularly efficient in the red zone? Yeah, I mean, probably not, right? I mean, you look at look at, I mean, that that's Washington State last weekend, right? I mean, they threw for four hundred yards, but had sixteen points, you know, before the before the garbage time touchdown, right? So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Dante Manning; he only gave up one catch last week. It was a forty-something yard catch along the sideline where he was in perfect position, pretty yeah. ideal coverage, right? And the guy made a good catch; it was a good throw and a good catch, and he immediately pushed him out of bounds, and and that was it. And and they, I don't think they ended up scoring on that drive, so. I, yeah, I mean, if you're Oregon, you're you're just going to tell your corners, like, yeah, you're you're man up, and our safeties are going to focus on the run game. And if you, you know, if if you're if one of these guys, you know, if 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 uh, I don't know who their receivers are, they're so beat up out there. I mean, if Vele or Money Parks or Landon King, uh, you know, beat you over the top a couple times a game, and you know. You know, as long as it, like I said, as long as it doesn't go to seven for seven, 
okay, you'll you'll live with that because that means you're you're probably limiting their 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 running game in the middle quite a bit. Yeah, I mean they ran I, for two fifty. They ran for two fifty on USC. Like that's that's why they won that game. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and also, and, USC's defensive coordinator apparently has never seen a, a, a wheel route by a running back. And from a personnel standpoint, like that matchup, if Lamea is healthy at right tackle against Birch, will be really fun because I think Lamea is the best run blocking right tackle in the league, going against easily the best edge run defender in the league. Um, and so, like, what what does that look like when those two guys lock horns? Um, I'm I'm excited to watch that matchup. Uh, but I think now with Justin Jacobs, who's just Lot out just a more natural linebacker. He's just he's better at, at, at sifting through the trash, um, and he's a really really elite tackler. Being back in the lineup now, I, I have a lot more confidence in Oregon's front seven than I did against a team like Utah than I did a couple weeks ago when he was still not playing. Yeah, this is this is a great this is an ideal game to have him back for. And obviously, he came back last week, but you know, we'll call it a warm up game if you will. He played thirty five snaps, which was much more than I was expecting. But I, you know, I keep going back to that one highlight, you know, as a third and two where he just, he just sifts through the trash, meets the running back in the hole, form tackles him backwards. Like that is, that is the type of linebacker play that Oregon has been missing for, I don't know, quite a while now, right? Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It was textbook linebacker play. And so if that's a consistent thing we can expect from him and then that shows up consistently in this game, I think that really limits Washington. He also just plays off blocks better. He's longer. He's bigger naturally than the other backers. So um, that's something that will be needed in this game. But as we saw last year, like Oregon against largely the same personnel for Utah was able to just line up and play with them. And um, it was just a good matchup for our defense. Like this, this is a game where Evan Williams gets to play his best role, which is running the alley and playing the run. Like he's going to get to buzz downhill and play, play the run a lot in this game. Um, and he's an elite tackler. He, he, he takes good angles to the ball, whereas like he's a little bit more of uh, a question mark in coverage, um, and like they don't have the tight ends that would really threaten him in this game. Yeah, and then on the other side, you got you got Taishim. You know, if he, whether he's playing star, uh, particularly if he's playing star, right? Uh, and I think you know he'll probably shift shift off with with Nico there, like they had been before last week. You know, he is also an elite tackler. I mean, he's missed two tackles on the entire season, and he's played the most snaps of anybody on defense. So um, yeah. these guys, they, you know, they don't, they're not going to whiff on those tackles when they get the chances and they, and they, they trigger and come down, come downhill pretty well. So I, I think you're right. I mean, to me, this game, uh, like you said, if Oregon, I, I, I find it outside of complete uh, meltdown offensively. I think Oregon's going to get to that 28 or more mark. Um, and I, I, I do think the matchups on the other side of the ball really play into Oregon's hand. I think this is just a bad matchup for Utah. And I, you know, it's kind of simplistic to say. I think the one, the one area where if Utah is going to hang in this game and have a chance to win it, I think it's going to become down to their quarterback play. Can their quarterback, you know, manufacture some heroic plays that that end up, you know, in Creating, creating scoring, creating touchdowns, and, and if, if you're can, Dan Lanning, then, it, yeah, if you're yeah. Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy and he does that, like then you like tip your hat and you move forward. But you just can't let efficiency run like be the death by a thousand cuts, right? Like you have to, you have to put the bodies necessary up on the line of scrimmage to sit on that and put them into uh, second and third and long situations where it's not 
Like they have to, they have to just trust him to drop back and throw the ball against this good secondary when you know that you can dial up pressure. Right. And, yeah. and Oregon's pass rush has been really good this year. And um, I don't see anything on tape that makes me think that the Utah offensive line is going to just completely stalwart the Oregon pass rush. I mean, Utah ran the ball 68% of the, of the plays last week against USC. I mean, they ran 47 times and they, they passed 23. I mean, we know what they're going to do. And, and Oregon just needs to line up, throw everything they can to stop the run and then say, Bryson Barnes, you're welcome to try to beat us. <laughs> I mean, I don't. That it seems that seems very simplistic, but that seems like the obvious play here. Yeah. All right, let's make a prediction then, QB. Uh, six and a half, Oregon. Give me the ducks. Who you got? You're going with the ducks. All right. Yeah. I am also I, going with the ducks. Go as we talked about, I just I think Oregon's going to find a way to score somewhere in the range of 28 points, and I don't think Utah's getting over 20. Yeah, I had this one pegged as 31 to 20 in favor of Oregon, which is an 11-point margin, um, which obviously is more than 6.5. So I'm going to go with Ducks minus 6.5. What does Justin have? Let's Wait, find We it. haven't even talked about this, though. Like, the one thing is that this is go one of it. the toughest road environments in college football. So, like, that can't be underrated. I'm glad it's not a night game. Um, yes. So, like, that needs to be said, though. I mean, I did, I did, I did lead with that in the opening, but yeah, I didn't. I think during this preview, we didn't touch on that, and that yeah. that is to me the where someone asked me earlier, "How are you feeling about this game?" And I said, anxiously opt or anxiously um, confident, right? And the anxiously part really comes into play is that it's Rice Eccles, um, which is a tough. It's a very tough. It's probably one of the toughest places in the country to play, certainly in the conference. And weird things happen there. And Utah is very tough at home. Their crowd is very good. Uh, the one thing I will say Oregon has going for it, if you will, on this environment is they went to Texas Tech and played in a very hostile environment and came away with a, a impressive come from behind win. They went up to Washington and played in the best crowd that stadium has seen in at least 20 years and came back from 11 down to take the lead and 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 take that game to the end and really played extremely clean in that environment. Their, their, their penalties, their mistakes, their, their, their stuff that you would say the crowd impacted was extremely minimal. And so that gives you, that gives this team those experiences coming into this game, right? This isn't the first time they're going to step into a hostile environment this season. They've done it. They've done it twice. Now what needs to happen which hasn't happened yet for Dan Lanning in a year and a half is he doesn't have a signature road victory over a ranked team yet. And and this is that game where he needs to get his first. If this team wants to continue to keep their goals in front of them for this season. I agree. All right. Justin also has Oregon in this one. Let's move on. We'll stay in the pac 12. We'll move on to uh, USC at Cal. Uh, so coming off their two straight losses, USC goes on the road. So a lot of road favorites in the pac 12 this week. Everybody's playing buys are all done. USC is a 10 and a half point road favorite at Cal. Who do you like in this one QB? How do you see this one playing out? Uh, I like USC because Cal's, really bad defensively and I don't think that they're all that like I don't think this is a game where USC shuts out Cal or like really shuts them down but they're going to find more stops than Cal's going to find especially with with uh, the differential and quarterback talent between these two teams yeah I think Cal's Cal's kind of found some fool's gold in, in some of the recent performances and I think that has them uh, some people may be overrating both their offense and and their defense quite frankly I don't think either one is very good uh, at all. I mean, look, 
if this is a game, if this is a, if this is USC playing another game down to the wire, like, let's just, I mean, that's that's to me a sign that USC has quit and just like write in two or three more losses as, yeah, I mean, as we there, go. There might be two more losses anyways, right? Anyway, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you if USC doesn't get off the mat and blow this team out, then that I think says a lot more about them than than last week did, <laughs> right? I, I mean, this is your like, hey, let's salvage our season game, let's take care of business and turn this shit around. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I have picked USC to cover a large spread uh, like six weeks in a row, and they haven't done it a single time. At some time, point, so. it's going to hit, right? At some and point, like, it will hit. <laughs> and I'm not going to be on the other side of it when it happens. I'm not going to be that guy that is like 0 for 6 on USC spreads because I take them to cover every week, and then the one week I don't, they, they cover. Yeah, it's a 10.5-point spread. Two weeks ago, the spread would have been 20. Yeah. So I'm also going to take them to cover because I do think that Cal is a fraud, and a terrible football team, and they have a mediocre at best football coach, and, and they're not going to win. Atmosphere is less than mediocre. <laughs> yeah, it's just bad. It's just bad. Okay, well, I'm going to roll with the Trojans as well, although I don't know why. All right, let's move on over to the other side of the bay, who's also hosting this week, a Stanford, who just got absolutely gobsmacked by UCLA last week uh, is at home taking on the Washington Huskies who had a scare and a half uh, against Arizona state at home last week. They go on the road uh, to take on Stanford. They are uh, once again, a 26 and a half point favorite in this one on the road. Justin is rolling with the Huskies. I actually am as well. I think they're going to bounce back from last week's scare and Stanford is still a, the worst football team in this conference and, they have nothing going for them offensively, defensively, or otherwise. Their defensive ranks are literally like dead last in the entire country in like half the defensive categories. Like they are absolutely terrible. And Washington is pretty good on offense. So there's going to be a lot of points on one side of this game. Yeah, this is going to be a get right game for the Washington offense after being completely horrible last week. And I feel kind of bad for Stanford because there's not a whole lot they can do to stop it. So I'm taking Washington minus whatever the points are. It doesn't really matter. All right, uh, let's move on down to uh, a lot of games in California this week. Let's move down to um, UCLA. They are hosting Colorado, who fresh off their bye, UCLA off that pasting of Stanford. And UCLA in this one is a 17-point home favorite against the Buffaloes. Who do you have? I got UCLA. I, I think that for all the reasons we've seen throughout the year, UCLA's pass rush is phenomenal. And Colorado can't block anybody. Uh, Shadur Sanders is going to get hit a lot in this game. I think it's going to really like reduce their productivity offensively, and I think that UCLA is going to be able to be balanced and find things against this Colorado defense because while UCLA doesn't have an elite offensive line by any stretch of the imagination, um, or sorry, UCLA, I should say, uh, they Chip is, calls a really good run game, and Colorado's not very good up front either. So it was bad on bad, and in that case, I'm taking Chip Kelly all day. Yeah, it's interesting. UCLA's offense is probably the worst it's been in the Chip Kelly era this year, statistically and and analytically. But Colorado's defense is just absolutely horrendous, has been all year. Uh, Like you said, Chip, I trust Chip to dial up enough to score points in this game. The other side of the ball, UCLA has a really good defense. Colorado's offense looked explosive early in the year. What we found out 
when they came into the Oregon game was that was against a, a lot of fraudulent teams and USC's fraudulent defense. And, and quite frankly, their offense has not been nearly as good um, over the last few weeks. So I am with you, and so is Justin. We are all rolling with the Bruins. Perfect. Okay. Moving on to or the big one in uh, Tucson. Oh, yeah, you skipped one on me, but that's all right. Uh, well, Oregon State at Arizona, three-point home favorite. Or Sorry, Oregon State is a three-point road favorite against the Wildcats. This is probably, to me, outside of the Utah-Oregon game, the most interesting and competitive game this week between the two schools. I have I have Arizona covering and winning outright, I believe. I believe Arizona's going to win this game. I, I really have been impressed with the way Arizona's played. Their offense hasn't surprised me. Um, cause you know, they have some good players there. I think the move to the, the fortunate move un- unintentional to change quarterbacks has been absolutely wondrous for them because they have steady play now instead of a turnover machine back there. And what, but what has been surprising and really impressive this year is Arizona's defense has been, I mean, they're not great by any means, but they have been good at times and, and and good enough at times to keep them in games, uh, especially when their offense can score. So I like Arizona to win this one outright. Yeah, I uh, I like Arizona to cover this game. I don't know if they win. Uh, I could see it pushing. I, I just think that Arizona is good enough on the outside to create plays against this Oregon State secondary, uh, which keeps the score competitive throughout. And if it's close late, uh, I think that that environment in Tucson is pretty good. So we'll, we'll see a, uh, a wildcat win. You going to drive over and watch? I am not. All right. I'm going to watch How about the this Oregon one? game. Are you going to drive up and, and attend the Washington State at Arizona State game this weekend? This one would be a lot more convenient, but I'm also not going to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Cougars on the road. Six-point favorite. Uh, they have lost three in a row now after losing to Oregon last week. Started 4-0, lost the last three. Are they going to get right on the road against the plucky Kenny Dillingham-coached Arizona State Sun Devils. And by the way, Kenny's doing a fantastic job down there. I don't care what the record is. He's coaching really well. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you on that. And I'm actually going to take uh, Washington State to cover. I think that this is a game that they win and get back on track towards bowl eligibility. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I do think Arizona State's going to put up a valiant effort. I'll be curious to see if they... I don't think they're going to have the same level of defensive success on Washington state that they did on Washington, because I think that was a game plan that was tailored very specifically to attack Washington where they were the weakest. And also I do think there was a, a hangover effect uh, both physically and otherwise coming off the Oregon, the big Oregon win for Washington. So I don't think Arizona's going to find that same success here. I think Washington state's going to do enough to win this one. I I don't know they cover, though. Uh, I'm on the fence on this one. No, I'm going to pick Washington State. Justin also has Washington State. Okay, that's it for the Pac-12 games. Uh, because the, the nationwide games can be this year, I looked around the, this week. I mean, I looked around the, the, the country to find some great top 25 versus top 25 matchups, and there aren't any outside of the Pac-12. So I said, screw it. This, this team that we cover and love is joining the Big Ten next year. We There are five Big Ten games this week. We needed five games on our schedule, so we're going to pick all five of the Big Ten games and ignore the rest of the loser conferences around the nation who don't have any good games this week. So, Heck yeah, Big, big Ten football. 
Big Ten football, baby. Let's start in your uh, beloved Madison, Wisconsin. The Ohio State Buckeyes, fresh off their big win over Penn State, are coming to town, and they are a 14-and-a-half-point road favorite against the Badgers. This is such a horrible matchup for the Badgers. Uh, I'm taking Ohio State. They, the, the Badgers just aren't as good defensively as they've been in years past, and the offensive line is a shell of what it was five, ten years ago when everyone has like everyone associates Wisconsin with these big, awesome offensive lines. This is not a big, awesome offensive line. Um, and the quarterback play with Locke, um, I think, is going to be suspect in this game against a really elite Ohio State defense. So uh, I'm going to roll with the Buckeyes, unfortunately, to blow my Badgers out in Madison. Did you ever think that we'd be sitting here talking about how the Ohio State defense is better than the Ohio State offense? Uh, I mean, it was it was definitely on the table with the quarterback change because it was going to be an elite unit. Yeah, it's I I've, I'm extremely impressed. I think the more time rolls on, I think the Ohio State team could very well win the national title this year. I think they they have the defense for it, and I think they have enough on offense for it. I mean, we'll see. There's a lot, a lot to play, and obviously that Michigan game looms large. But I'm with you. Ohio State's going to win this one. Uh, they're going to cover. Justin also agrees. That takes us to Indiana traveling to Penn State, who is a 32 point conference home favorite against. The Hoosiers. Yeah, I'm going to take Penn State in this one because they've been hearing a lot about how horrible their offense is, how they lack explosiveness across the board um, after after what happened last week in Columbus. And so I think that this is going to be a net crack game where they just take it all out on Indiana, and Indiana sucks. So give me Penn State minus 32. Indiana is on the short list of worst teams at the Power 5 conference. I mean, they, they're right up there with Stanford uh, and a couple others. They are an absolutely – Horrible team. They don't do anything well on offense. They don't do anything well on defense. They don't do anything well anywhere. Uh, and Penn State is going to open up a can of whip ass on them. I I don't care that it's thirty two. They will cover. It's probably good. this game's going to be like forty eight to seven or forty eight to three or something like that. So yeah, give me Penn State all the way. Justin is actually picking Indiana, so I'm guessing it's a points thing. He thinks thirty two is too many. So he's rolling with Indiana, and this will be great. We can get one back on him. Yeah, this next we'll one's fall, really we'll easy. Fall further behind, uh, this, Maryland this, Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, give me Maryland Northwestern is actually the worst team in the Big Ten. So, all right, it's a fourteen point spread. You're taking Maryland. I'm taking Maryland. Justin is taking Maryland. We're all rolling with Maryland. Go Terrapins! All right, Michigan State, Minnesota, the mustard Gophers at home are a seven-point favorite against the reeling, tuckerless Spartans. This is actually a game because I think that Minnesota's offense is so bad that Michigan State can stay close. I don't know. That, I don't think they win in Minneapolis, but I am going to take Michigan State to cover this game. So I'll take Michigan State plus the seven. I agree. Uh, Minnesota's a better football team, uh, which isn't saying a whole lot because these are two kind of pretty bad football teams. Uh, Michigan State, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's the seven. If this was a four-point line, I would roll with the Mustard Gophers, but it's seven, so I'm going to take Michigan State to cover. The Gophers will win. And that takes us finally to the kind of improving Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, they're, um, they're looking good, and they've got some young playmakers starting to step up. Malachi Coleman making plays at wide receiver. Um 
like you could tell they're well coached. They're just getting better as the year goes on. I, I don't know that I could say the same thing about Purdue. So I'm going to go ahead and take <laughs> Nebraska uh, minus the two, two and, and a half, half points. points. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Nebraska two and a half. I'm also taking to Nebraska. I think they cover this probably fairly comfortably, maybe by a touchdown or more. Uh, Justin is actually picking Purdue to keep it close or maybe win because it's only two and a half points. So there's another opportunity to get one back from him there as he continues to lead Nebraska. I will win. We'll win this one and uh, and cover. So QB, that's it for our picks this week. Anything more you want to say before we call it a night and head off into the weekend? Uh, no, I'm just excited. Like, this, like if Oregon can get through this week with a win, I think the the road lines up really well for them to finish out the season. And so this is a big weekend. Um, every weekend's a big weekend, but this one in particular is really important. There's not enough. There's no room for error for the Ducks, and it's a really tough road environment. I think we're going to find out a lot about this team on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this is a must-win game for them and for Utah, quite frankly. But and you're right. Like this to me is the 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 single biggest hurdle left of, of the five games remaining on the schedule in or, you know, for Oregon to get back to back to the, the conference title game with, with only one loss and a chance to make it into the playoffs. This is, if they get through this game, my confidence level and their ability to run the the next four goes up. I mean, it, you know, exponentially, it's really this game. I feel like is that, is that massive hurdle. So, all right, QB, well, we will be back on a Monday morning for everyone with our review of this game and, and everything else. And uh, of course, follow him at QB 11 SD on Twitter. I'm at Douglas TS. The show is at QB 11 show. Make sure to like and follow and subscribe on Spotify or Apple podcasts or whatever your podcasting platform is of choice thank you all again as always for listening and your support and we will be back at you in a few days